welcome to this episode. And we're looking at abandonment. Now that's a common experience of millions in this world today. I've met children who have become youth and then become adults who bear a burden, a terrible sense of abandonment from early in their lives. I remember on a journey overseas with a friend of mine and his wife having a great conversation. My friend was a psychiatrist and his wife was a psychiatric nurse of a lot of experience. And we talked hour after hour as we drove through a foreign country. And I said to him, tell me about the way you approach your counselling. Oh, he said very simply. Now, you'll remember that this man was an accomplished man, a qualified doctor and psychiatrist. And he had worked for a number of years at one of the big clinics in our hometown and with great success. And I said to him, well, how do you go about assessing where a person is when they come to you as a patient? He said, I sit them down, I make them comfortable. We talk very, very briefly. And then I say to them, just frankly and easily, why don't you tell me about your home life? Tell me about your father. Tell me about your mother. Tell me about your upbringing. And we go right back to those earliest stages. He said, within 10, 15 minutes, I have the whole picture. I don't have to go backwards from today, back then. I start at the beginning and I work through situation, circumstance, calamity until the present time where I have not only the fruit of the basic root of loss or abandonment and then we deal with the root rather than the fruit that that has brought forth in their lives. And he said it's a much better way of going. Go right to the root, not firstly to the fruit, and then begin to give the person hope for that abandonment that they feel. Sometimes it happens because parents divorce and the children are torn between the two parents. They love both or they want to love both, and they want to be loved by both. But when there's rejection, there's abandonment. And that's what abandonment is. It's rejection, where you're cast out, thinking that nobody cares. One of the classic interviews that Jesus had is found in John's Gospel, chapter 4. You'd know it well, I'm sure. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes through Samaria, verse 4. He came to a town in Samaria near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So there was a lot of history there. And Jacob's well was there, and so he rested a while. And he sent the disciples off into the town to get some provisions. Then all of a sudden, at a very uncommon time of day, a Samaritan woman came. It would have been about hmm, midday, around about that. 
Now, normally the women came to draw water from the well early in the morning because of domestic tasks and the toil of the day. The washing, the cooking, all those things that have to be done. This woman came in isolation. And one asks the question, did Jesus intuitively or by the Spirit of God know that this woman would come and that this would be the opening into that region for the gospel that continued even after he had ascended into heaven and the Spirit had been outpoured and the whole region, according to Acts chapter 8, came to Christ. Did he know that this was part of a great and eternal plan that the Father had sown into his heart? I don't know, maybe. We know there that he knew all about her by the discernment of the Spirit. And Jesus said to her in verse 7, when she comes, would you give me a drink? Would you draw water from the well? I'd like to drink. And straight away she shows evidence of abandonment. Ah, you see, the Samaritans were abandoned by the Jews because they had violated Deuteronomy chapter 7. They were originally Jewish, but when the Assyrians came, they, yeah, they intermarried. They became a people on their own, utterly despised by Israel and abandoned. And so if you wanted to insult anybody in Israel at the time, you called them a so-and-so Samaritan, a half-caste unclean, unwanted, denied the privilege of the temple and its worship. And this woman knows her place and she looks at Jesus and she can undeniably work out that he's a Jew. And she says to him, how could you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. We don't get on. You, you, you're disparaging of us. For centuries you've hated us. And Jesus starts the ball rolling. And he starts by saying in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the beginning of the engrafting of the alienated, the abandoned nation or people's group within Israel called the Samaritans, who would later in Christ be grafted into the true vine. And this is the most amazing story. Because here we have a woman very fully aware historically and personally because of her moral life that she's an abandoned woman. She's not loved by her townsfolk. She's not esteemed by her countrymen. And of course, the people's group, the Samaritans, are despised by the Jews and are treated in such a despicable way that they are regarded as being toxic, diseased and defiled. So the woman is intrigued that Jesus would ask anything of her. 
And then Jesus says these words, beautiful words. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, said the woman. That touched a chord deep within a spirit, as Jesus always does when he speaks to us. Haven't you noticed in your own life, when he speaks to you, it just sort of quickens it in your own spirit. And she said to him, Oh, I want that kind of water. I want to have a water that satisfies and I won't get thirsty ever again and have to keep coming here to draw water. I wonder what is in that statement. What do you think is in that statement? I wonder if she hated going to the well. She came at a time when she knew others wouldn't be there because she was abandoned, as we said just minutes ago, not only as a part of a defiled group of the nation, but also because of her life, she was abandoned and ostracized by her townsfolk. So that sometimes when she came thinking she'd be alone or it was the off time to draw water, she bumped into people and they despised her. So Jesus then deals with that. And I want to tell you, if you feel abandoned, and it's either your fault or not your fault, he will get to the core very quickly in your spirit. That's what my friend, the psychiatrist, said. He said, you've got to get to the root to be able to prune and to heal the fruit of what the root has produced. And Jesus gets to the root. He says to her, go and call your husband and come back. Bring him with you. Oh, she said, I have no husband. Very glib, very precise, very cut and dried. You have no husband. Yes, I know that, he says. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and you're living with a man who's not your husband. Oh yes, what you've said is quite true. And the woman is confronted by something bigger than being exposed. Because the whole town knows that. But this is a Jew, this is a stranger. How does he know about her life? She then says to him, I can see that you are a prophet. And then straight away, she sidesteps the issue because in saying that he's a prophet means that he could go on further and prophesy deeper and speak to her about other matters that she doesn't want touched. That's the terrible frenzy we get. When the Spirit of God begins to talk to us, talks to me, talks to you about areas in our lives that need to be brought out into the open so they can be dealt with through confession and repentance and by the Spirit of God removed from our lives and thus are no longer a stumbling block, we get all agitated and get our back up 
and we tried to sidestep or argue away or excuse ourselves from the inevitable. And that's what she started to do. Oh, she said, uh, um, you may be a prophet, but she said, we have our own place of worship. You have Jerusalem and the temple, but we have our own mountain. What she's doing is saying, look, your religion has nothing to do with me. So whether you're a prophet and a seer and can see into my life and you've done that successfully, I'm not under obligation to you because, because I have my own religion. And I've heard people say that, haven't you? When you're talking to them about the Lord, they'll say words to you like this. Oh, um, well, that's how you see it, but I've got my own religion. I'm a this or a that or a something else. I belong to this denomination and that denomination doesn't believe what you say. So I'm safe from any further penetration of your truth or truth itself. And that's what she does. And Jesus counteracts that. And he says, believe me, woman, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain where you're familiar with, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You've got a manufactured gospel. We worship what we do know. We come from the Torah, the word of God, handed to the patriarchs, handed to the prophets. We've got the word of God. And we know that salvation comes through Israel. Yet the time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in the heart, the human heart of mankind. God deals with human hearts because he wants to make those hearts a sanctuary of his spirit a place where he dwells, where he moves, where he speaks, where he reveals, where he touches lives. And she's getting this marvellous opportunity right here and now to trade in a dying religion, an outmoded approach to God through religion for that which is spirit and life and eternal. And then the woman says, well, I know what you're saying. You're saying, and we know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Everything will be worked out according to the revelation of Messiah. And this is where Jesus confronts her with this wonderful revelation. Oh, prize that revelation that you've had of Jesus revealing himself to you. There are billions in this world who have yet to have that opportunity and probably tens of millions who are dying and longing for it. The Bible says here, Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, am he. 
The one that's speaking to you is the one that you have a vague hope and a longing to one day hear, I am your Messiah. I am your Redeemer. I am your Saviour. I am the answer. Now, when he'd finished with that, there is no record here of her reaction because immediately his disciples return and, oh, they are surprised. Now, the word is stronger than being surprised. They're a bit affronted that he is talking with a woman and let alone a woman, but what about a Samaritan woman? And no one wanted to say it, but they were thinking, what do you want to the woman? What do you want? Or to him, why are you talking to her? Now, there's her third element of abandonment. She has a national abandonment. She has a national abandonment. She has a personal abandonment by the townsfolk. And she has now third abandonment by the followers of Jesus who think she's unworthy, who think that she has no right to be talking to him and a surprise that he would lower himself to talk to her. But God's love is bigger than our self-righteousness, our priggishness, our sense of superiority. And so here she leaves a water jar and runs back to town. Now she's unafraid to confront the townsfolk. And she calls to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I wonder in their minds they were thinking, I could tell you and I could tell him and I could tell everyone what you've done. And then she goes on to say, could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. She's not yet certain that he is the anointed one, that he is the Christ, he is the saviour, he is the Messiah. But she is exerting an influence because something's happened, as the hymn writer says. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Abandoned. Abandoned as a nation. Abandoned as a people's group. Abandoned because of racism. Abandoned because of anything. Because of your past. Because of the lifestyle that you gave yourself to. Abandoned because no one wants you. Abandoned because men have used you and you've allowed yourself to be used and abused and now you're accused. But someone's come and showed that whatever you are, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's acceptance, there is love, there is grace, there is mercy. And the whole village goes out and he stays with them and talks with them. And the Bible tells us that as they listened and as he talked with them, they knew they had met 
with the Messiah. Many of the Samaritans, verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Now, what happened in those two days would have been absolutely amazing. He stayed two days in order to share, to impart, and to paint pictures and lay a foundation that Philip the Evangelist added to in a period of time to come. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world, not just the Messiah for Israel and not just the friend of sinners. He is the saviour of the whole world. An abandoned people's group, hated, disrespected, defiled, turned away from, and yet embracing of Jesus. A woman, part of that racial abuse, part of that terrible life she'd lived and the scorn that it had brought on her, and, of course, having to put up with the disdain of the disciples. And, you know, friends, don't be one of those disdainful disciples. There are so many around. We call them legalists, where they take the scripture and browbeat you with it and condemn you with it and try and bring you down by it. But, oh, Jesus is bigger than that. His love is so kind, and maybe you've done all this woman did and maybe a whole lot more. God loves you, and your abandonment can end in minutes from now, when you fall to your knees, even just in your heart, and say to him, Lord Jesus, I'm like this woman, cut off, despised. I brought it on myself. I am what I am by the folly of my way. But you are who you are by the grace of God. And I offer myself to you. In doing that, your days of abandonment are over. Your days of alienation and being cut off from the kingdom of God are gone. Now you may somehow, some way, and in some places and with some people, still bear their grudge. What are you doing here? What do you want in this place? Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus sat with abandoned people. And Judaism, the Pharisees, the priests, they'd abandoned the sinners that Jesus sat with. And he said these words, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to perfection and to cleansing and to healing and to restoration. The abandonment is over. The inclusion in the kingdom of God is yours. I'll look forward to being with you in our next episode 
when we look at the promises and the joys of having that abandonment taken away. Let me say this to whet your appetite for the next episode. The disciples felt abandoned and Jesus said they didn't need to. But though they felt it, he would send another comforter. But that's for our next episode.